McLaughlin, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Roberts with a reminder that Jeffrey Mark will join us later on in the hour. Jeff interviewed Betty White as part of a documentary he produced on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Stay tuned for that. In the meantime, joining us now is our friend Steve Beverly. Steve Beverly, recently retired professor of broadcast journalism at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. Steve Beverly is also our resident game show historian. He was one of the people behind the old game show Congress that honored game show personnel and game show fans and game show celebrities for many years when it was held in Hollywood. And it was on that occasion, I know for sure, that you crossed paths with Betty White at least on one occasion. Oh, yeah. In fact, Betty was with us for five of the seven game show Congress events that we had in Los Angeles. And I had interviewed her a few times before that actual event started becoming an annual Legends Luncheon uh, that we honored different people who had been uh, pioneer contributors to the genre. And so Betty was just really one of these people that if you've heard so many of the testimonials about her in recent days that she was the same to Joe and Mabel who walked down the street as she was to the people that she engaged in entertainment, it is absolutely true. There was not a stranger that she met, and it didn't matter whether it was one of her fans or whether it was someone who she had co-starred with in a performance. Uh, She was the same person to everybody, and I think that's why we all loved her and why we miss her so much. And believe it or not, this is something I just came to know about her in the last couple of years, but I think one of the reasons why so many of us loved her is because when she first, I mean, her her career dates back to the early, early, early days of television when she was doing five and a half hours a day, six days a week, hosting the local television show Hollywood on television, which was basically a radio show with the camera in front of it, and it was Betty White thinking on her feet with her on-air partner, whether that was Al Jarvis or Eddie Albert, 30 hours a week. And when when you're kind of going from one thing to another every day for five and a half hours, you become yourself. And that is who the viewers saw originally and continue to see up until the very end. It really is. And you think about, this is a lady that even in the 1940s, was doing experimental television in Los Angeles before they became true commercial outlets. And that meant her career spanned, literally, in in television alone, her career spanned more than 70 years. And if you really put it to paper, she may go down as our most, now there may be people who in reruns we've continued to see, but she may go down as far as her active participation in entertainment. She may go down as our most enduring broadcaster ever when you go back and look at when it all started. But you think about today, people who do talk radio, they may do three, maybe four hours a day most. But she was doing five and a half hours a day between 30 and 33 hours a week of live television. It's tough enough to be creative and fresh for a couple of hours. But And and with today's daytime talk shows, one hour a week. 
but Betty was doing this six days a week, and as you say, upwards 30 to 33 hours a week. It, it's incredible just the amount of seasoning that she had, and you have to look on her as one of the people who wrote the rules of television broadcasting when there were no rules. And just to piggyback on what you just said, a typical hour of broadcasting, whether you're doing a one-hour talk show or a one-hour radio talk show, that's really broke. That one hour is really broken down to maybe 40 minutes when you take out commercial clusters, when you take out top-of-the-hour news, when you take out bottom-of-the-hour news. You know, that one hour is really 40 minutes where you got to perform an interview and whatnot. And Betty, when, when Betty was doing Hollywood on television, you tell me if I'm wrong. Those were pretty much close to five and a half hours because she was doing her own commercials. I mean, if there was a break, they threw it to the station for station identification. She may have had time to run to the ladies' room, but that's about it. It's true, because in, in those days, number one, you did not have as many advertisers as we do today. And more of the personalities, and you go back and you see the kinescopes of a lot of the live network shows that were done, many of the personalities like Gary Moore, Jimmy Dean, Robert Q. Lewis, so many of those people did their own live commercials during the shows that they did. And, and particularly at the local level, that was true because television in its infancy just had not progressed to the point, and naturally it couldn't have, to where you had a lot of film pre-taped or, or pre-taped, because at that well, when, when Betty first started, there was no videotape. And that's, that was another thing about it. There was no videotape until after 1956. Mm -hmm. And so the bottom line to it is they did not have a lot of options. You did have some film commercials, but it was very primitive. And so so much of it depended on the personality themselves to sell the product. Arthur Godfrey was a classic example of that. Who You even watched his old uh, Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts right up until the time that it ended. He did all of his live spots for Lipton Tea or Lipton Soup. And so Betty was having to do the same type of thing virtually around the clock, so there wasn't a lot of opportunity to take a break and even go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what made her professional. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you think about, you think about again, and, you're, and nobody had the rule. You, you'd had radio, but television was a different animal because you had to look the part as well as be heard in the part. And it was really true, is that they had to make it up as they went along and hope that the viewers came along for the ride. And fortunately with her, she was so good at being herself that all of that seasoning that she had on local independent television in Los Angeles that really just paved the way for who she was in so many different areas of entertainment, whether it was acting, whether it was doing a talk show, whether it was being a game show celebrity, regardless of what it was. She did everything well. Steve Beverly's on the line with us as we remember the life and career of Betty White. Steve Beverly, recently retired professor of broadcast journalism at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, and one of the people behind the 
Game Show Congress that honored game show celebrities, game show personnel, and game show fans for many years here in Hollywood. Betty White passed away New Year's Eve, December 31st, uh, 2021, age 99. I don't know if you saw this, but there's a cartoon of Betty White at the pearly gates of heaven, and St. Peter is letting her in. And the caption, Steve, is, it says a lot about your life, when people think you went too soon at age 99. <laughs> I saw that. And it is, it, it is so true. It, it was almost like you could feel America as one, rooting as a collective whole for Betty to make 17 more days. Yeah. Yeah. And be able to, to hit that milestone of 100 years. And we all felt like if anybody deserved it, that she did. We don't call our own shots on that. And I, I know for so many people, because there had been a number of Twitter hoaxes over the years, and particularly the last 10 years, in which you had situations of people who would post something to suggest that Betty had passed away. And when the news broke on New Year's Eve, I know I was this way, but I know so many people have told me that they really felt like that they had to read the story three times and then double-check the source yeah. before they believed that Betty was really gone. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and it was really true because it, it, you just did not want to believe it and so close to reaching that milestone, and, and and it was just one of those things that it was like ripping the heart out of America at that point in time. Yeah, we've talked about this before. As we get older, our icons get older, and time stops for nobody. But I will admit, Steve, I was sad when I found out because for for the reasons you just laid out, if you know, because I wanted her to hit one hundred. You know, and I think about how. She meant so much to so many people, but she was the rare one who transcended the generations because she suddenly back again in the late double O's and the early teens, she had another resurgence of her career that was really catapulted by the Saturday Night Live appearance and also by the Snickers commercial that she did on the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, sudden, suddenly, every she does the proposal. Everybody wants Betty back to do something. And, and here you go. You've got my college students. The day that Mary Tyler Moore died, I said, we need to insert this into our newscast today because a lot of people are going to be talking about it. Not one of my students knew who Mary Tyler Moore was. But on the basis of the Golden Girls reruns that have continued for so long and, and what she did on Saturday Night Live and on the Super Bowl, they all knew who Betty was. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was, somebody wrote in the past week that she went from becoming the girl next door to America's sweetheart, and then in her later years, she became America's grandmother. And I think everybody that watched her work and respected and admired and laughed at it because she was one of the funniest ladies you ever want to be around, it was just really like we had had something that belonged to us taken away. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, 
You talk to one of them, they stay anonymous. I can't hang up. That's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh. Somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today. Beautiful Anonymous. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number. Thousands of people try to call. I talk to one of them. They stay anonymous. I can't hang up. That's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talk to a guy with a goose laugh. Somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today. Beautiful Anonymous. And now Borden's presents TV's newest and liveliest panel show, Make the Connection. And here is our Make the Connection panel, the star of Life with Elizabeth, Betty White. Betty White was the first lady of game shows in many respects. She appeared on just about every major game show of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, including Hollywood Squares and the various pyramid shows, but she was a particular staple of the Goods and Todman shows, What's My Line, Match Game, and, of course, Password. Do you know what first spurred her association with Goods and Todman, Steve? Yeah, it was a show called Make the Connection that she did back. It was a summer game show that Jim McKay hosted, and then uh, he didn't stay for the whole run of it. It was Gene Rayburn took over. But in, in 1955, actually Mark, Goodson wanted her to host that show. But you're talking about a period in the mid-1950s where the thought of a woman hosting a game show just seemed to be the antithesis of what network television executives who were all across the board male, they wouldn't accept that. Mark wanted it, but the network did not. Now, you had had Arlene Francis hosting a show called Talent Patrol, and also it was later known as Soldier Parade, and she also hosted a show called Blind Date that technically was a game show uh, because it had some structure not unlike uh, the later dating game. So technically, you'd have to say that Arlene was the first one who actually did that. Uh, but when it came to that, Mark could not convince the network to make Betty the host, so she was a regular panelist there. And then eventually that went on to where she became the go-to panelist on a lot of the shows when Kitty Carlisle left to tell the truth to join her husband, Moss Hart, in uh, Hollywood. Betty was the one who actually, she was flown in every week from, from Los Angeles to be on the panel of to tell the truth, and she did that for about a year. But of course, unquestionably, the show that really was the signature was when she began to play Password, and ultimately that led to the marriage of Alan Rudden and Betty White. And from that day on, of course, it didn't matter what show you did. And, and I think the best thing I can say about it, in addition to the fact that she was so associated with the Goodson Todman shows, but she did Tom Kennedy's You Don't Say on its very first week back in 1963, near April 1st. And Tom told me, he said, that he had had so many failures of game shows and other type programs that he seriously would have considered getting out of the business altogether if you don't say had not been successful. And he had told me, he said, that 
I was even at the point of beginning to get ready to study for my real estate license. And so you don't say came along, and Betty and Barry Sullivan were the celebrities on the first week. And he said Betty was such the consummate game player. And he said that was the thing about her is that she wasn't there just to be a celebrity. She played the game and played it well. And he said when you had that first week, the chemistry was so good that every time you hosted a game show that had celebrities, you really hoped you'd have Betty on one of the first weeks. And he said, we got her on the first week of You Don't Say. And he said, and then the next week we have June Lockhart on. And he said, at that point in time, he said, we, by the time we hit the sixth week, we knew we had a hit on our hands, and I forgot about leaving television. And he said, but he, he said, everybody who has a successful celebrity-based game show probably owes something to Betty to help it get off the ground. Betty White passed away on December 31st, 2021 at age 99. Steve Beverly, recently retired professor of broadcast journalism at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, here to help us celebrate the life and legacy of Betty White. You mentioned Tom Kennedy uh, and Betty was on the panel, was, was one of the guest panelists the first week when he premiered the first version of You Don't Say in 1963. That was not the first time, you know this, that was not the first time she had worked with Tom Kennedy. She had worked with Tom and his brother, Jack Nars, in each of her first two sitcoms. Yeah, exactly right. Life with Elizabeth that she started doing in 1953 as an actual series, it had been a series of sketches that were done locally on KTLA in Los Angeles and Don Federson, uh, who was the producer along with Betty, said these things need to be filmed and we need to put them in a package in syndication. They, they thought about pitching it to the networks. The networks were not sure about a comedy show that was done in a series of two or three sketches rather than having a continuous story for the whole half hour. But they put it together in syndication, and at one time they actually went on ahead and filmed 65 episodes so that uh, they could get their money back in syndication from it very, very quickly, which it, it, it definitely worked. But they decided to have uh, an on-camera announcer who would build the threads between those three sketches that they would do every week, and that turned out to be Jack Nars, who at that time had been a, a slowly burgeoning radio and television personality in Los Angeles. And so Betty told me in the first interview I ever did with her, she said, we were so glad to get him because he was such a, a handsome young man and he had the ability to just be conversational. And it didn't seem like he was reading off cue cards when he went from one building the bridge from one segment to the next. And so that was Betty's first uh, professional connection with Jack. And then Tom was the announcer both on Date with the Angels, her ABC comedy series that she did, uh, that was not as successful as it should have been, but it was on ABC in, in two terrible time slots. And it never could get ratings traction. But Tom was the announcer that introduced the show. And at the end of the show, he also, you'd always hear him say, good night for the Plymouth Dealers of America. <laughs> and, and, and then Tom also transitioned. Betty was allowed to do her own replacement. And so she ended up doing a live half-hour variety show 
that was not successful either because of the fact they headed opposite I've Got a Secret, which was the number one panel game show on television. And it was on ABC that did not have a lot of affiliates, but Tom was the announcer on that show as well. And so uh, when I first mentioned the names Tom Kennedy and Jack Norris to Betty when I did my first interview with her, she says, oh, now you're talking about family. (laughs) And and she meant it. She said, you know, there was just really an extended family that Betty had, but they weren't just a professional extended family. They were really good friends. She got to know all of their families. Uh, They loved her as if she was a member of their family. Steve Beverly is with us as we remember the life and career of Betty White. Betty White, uh, I think it's safe to say that we, in a way, all of us are part of Betty White's extended family. Wouldn't Wouldn't you say, Steve? I think she would have definitely considered that because... I watched her, and and look, you've been there, and I have too, where there are times you will encounter, as a journalist, celebrities who aren't very pleasant people Mm -hmm. and are not what their image suggests that they are. Uh, I was in her presence probably a dozen times, and I watched her around other people that were not entertainers. And this lady never was too busy to sign an autograph she was never too busy to stop and have a picture made with somebody who wanted to do that uh and she was she had that same expression that you always saw from her uh no matter whether it was joe and mabel walking down the street or whether it was uh steve allen and jane meadows she just was the kind that was always uh, and, and I asked her about that. I said, Betty, you, you just, everybody loves you. And, and I said, but I, my observation is that it's because you treat people the way you want to be treated. And she said, that's exactly the way my parents raised me. And so I think she owed an awful, and she said that many times, that she owed an awful lot to her parents for keeping her grounded as she grew up. And she never forgot that as she became a, a, one of America's most successful performers ever. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Thank you for supporting Actors and Others for Animals. We started a long, long time ago. You can still take part in the Betty White Challenge by going to BettyWhiteChallenge.com as it's safe to say that Betty would have done anything possible to support this important cause. So when you find an organization like Actors and Others for Animals, it sort of unites all of those of us who want to pay back something for all the joy we get out of animals. You can learn more about the Betty White Challenge by going to BettyWhiteChallenge.com, BettyWhiteChallenge.com. Please keep up the good work. Believe me, it's deeply appreciated. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at tvconfidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer, 
or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.